It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. So I was going to start with a cute little item about Taylor Swift. And then I saw on TV, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift. And then I saw in the big newspapers, stories about Taylor Swift. Some of them even put Taylor Swift in the headline of a story that was about largely about something else. Oh, wait, I did that yesterday. <laughs> it's just unbelievable, the attacks on her, the... Uh, deification of her having to do with Joe Biden and going to the Super Bowl. By the way, that last game in which the Kansas City Chiefs were able to beat the Baltimore Ravens, 55 million viewers, the most watched AFC championship game ever. Now, Did the Taylor Swift hype help? Sure. But everybody wanted to see whether Kansas City could hang on. Maybe they wanted to see how Travis Kelsey could play. And she was only on camera for about, I don't know, 40 seconds. Remember, she didn't want to be. And then, of course, she went down to the field afterwards, and there were pictures of her hugging Travis and so on. So let me get into some of this, you know, full disclosure, purely wacky stuff and more serious analyses with story number one. This is what everyone's talking about, right? So on OAN, One America News, Allison Steinberg says the following. America's pop star celebrity sweetheart joins forces with the top dog in the NFL, playing for a team that's going to the Super Bowl. I mean, let's be real here. This is bread and circuses on steroids. Major League Sports, in and of itself, is nothing but a psyop. So they become obsessed with some grown man who gets paid millions of dollars every year to throw a ball around while promoting poison death shots and child slave labor through various brand deals and endorsements. So sad. Just imagine for a moment if people were as dedicated to Jesus as they are professional sports. And then the question is, with wide open border and millions of illegals pouring in daily, the stealing at the ballot boxes and censoring conservative news, let me get a breath, and Republican incumbents being removed from the ballot, that's being battled over in court, and financing Nikki Haley and so on, why do the powers that be need this dynamic duo to sway the vote? Don't they have enough dirty tricks up their sleeves? Dirty tricks? This is wild. If Taylor Swift is really owned by George Soros, uh, excuse me, she's a billionaire on her own, Oh, man. Anyway, enough of that. But here's the New York Times. The conspiracy theories coming out of the Make America Great Again contingent 
were already legion. That Swift is a secret agent of the Pentagon. That she is bolstering her fan base in preparation for her endorsement of President Biden's re-election. Well, she already had a huge fan base. You see what's been happening on all these sold-out arenas on her seemingly endless tour? Or that she and Travis Kelsey are a contrived couple assembled to boost the NFL or COVID vaccines or Democrats or whatever. Vivek Ramaswamy. I wonder who's going to win the Super Bowl next month. And I wonder if there's a major presidential endorsement coming from an artificially, culturally propped up couple this fall. Pro-Trump broadcaster Mike Crispy said on Sunday that the National Football League is rigged. Where have we heard that before? Rigged. It kind of rings a bell. In order to spread Democrat propaganda, calling it now, KC wins, goes to the Super Bowl. I guess that was before the victory over Baltimore. Swift comes out at the halftime show and endorses Joe Biden with Kelsey at midfield. That is not going to happen in the middle of the ultimate NFL championship game. It could happen later. And by the way, Taylor Swift endorsed Joe Biden in 2020. She is a Democrat. We already know what she thinks. Okay, other detractors include Trump lawyer Alina Haba, one of Trump's biggest conspiracy theorists, Jack Posobiec, and other MAGA luminaries. The right has been fuming about Swift since September when she urged her fans on Instagram to register to vote. And the online outfit Vote.org reported a surge of 35,000 registrations in response. Now, she didn't tell only Democrats to register to vote. You know, there are a lot of people who are not Democrats who like her music. She is, you know, considered to be the most talented performer of her generation. Well, the New York Times is done because here's op-ed columnist Ross Douthit. Trump himself is a great abnormalizer, but so are the various fixations and follies that take shape in his wake. Like the very online right's bizarre reaction to the romance between Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, a love story that's united the two remaining pillars of our common culture— the National Football League, and, well, Swift herself. Conservative hostility to Swift has been simmering ever since she dipped into partisan politics in 2018 and 2020. But an Echelon Insights poll last summer found Trump-first Republicans were more likely to be hostile to Taylor Swift, whereas party-first Republicans gave her the same broadly favorable ratings as the country as a whole. Her relationship with Kelsey has transformed a merely unfavorable impression into outright paranoia. With various online influencers portraying the romance as some kind of carefully crafted political propaganda whose true purpose is to make a swift or swift Kelsey endorsement of Biden's re-election as meaningful as possible to Swifties and football fans alike. 
Douthat goes on to say celebrities endorsing liberal politicians is just not an especially decisive part of politics. Swift endorsed Phil Bredzen in the Tennessee Senate race, and he lost to Marsha Blackburn by 11 points. She endorsed Biden in 2020, as I mentioned, and he won, but nobody looking back imagines that the Swift factor mattered all that much. But the idea that it would matter enough to inspire and justify a media regime influence operation complete with some remarkable acting performances by the faking it romantic partners and some kind of game-fixing shenanigans by the NFL is the silliest possible conspiracy theory. Well, I think we've aired this out. I don't think it's over. I don't think it'll be over till after the Super Bowl, and I don't think it'll be over after, until Taylor Swift either does or does not endorse Joe Biden. Remember, this all got started with a leak to the New York Times by the Biden campaign about all the great things it was doing. It was going to target Trump and it was going to stress abortion rights. And it was seeking um, online influencers to reach younger people for the 81-year-old president and hoping to get Taylor Swift's endorsement. So it's not like that part is made up. It's just the reaction has been bonkers. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. All right, a more serious story. Number two. Oh, here's the Wall Street Journal editorial page, a bastion of conservative thought, saying... Impeaching Mayorkas achieves nothing. And impeachment should never be used just to pursue policy differences. Okay, so House Republicans, early this morning, I guess, voted to advance their impeachment case against the Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, to the full House, moving one step closer to impeaching the first cabinet member, in almost 150 years. After a day-long hearing yesterday, marking up two articles of impeachment, willful and systematic refusal to comply with the law, as well as breach of public trust, there was an 18 to 15 vote, strictly along party lines, following a marathon meeting And Democrats during this hearing said Republicans have no constitutional basis to impeach Mayorkas. And they noted that GOP lawmakers have struggled in two recent hearings to detail clear evidence of high crimes and misdemeanors. Now, Republicans want to bring this issue to the House floor next week. Oh, this is not quite a revelation either. Even if the full House impeaches Mayorkas, he is unlikely to be convicted in a trial in the Democratic-led Senate. But think about that. I mean, look, much more so than the case of Joe Biden, where at least you can point to allegations and accusations involving Hunter Biden and involving uh, money, uh, a lot of money rolling in to Hunter Biden and his business associates. Look, Mayorkas may have done a horrible job at the border. 
Although, obviously, in this case, he's a proxy for Joe Biden, who has let the border get out of control in the last three years. So I'm not defending his performance. But what this is, is hearings, publicity, Senate trial on what might be the Republicans' top issue. The absolute disastrous mess at the southern border. So, Mayorkas wasn't at this hearing, but he sent a six-page letter detailing his career in public service and pushing back on notions that he's avoided their oversight requests. We provided Congress and your committee hours of testimony, thousands of documents, hundreds of briefings, and much more information that demonstrates quite clearly how we are enforcing the law. And he would continue to do that no matter how baseless the proceedings. I assure you that your false accusations do not rattle me and do not divert me from the law enforcement and broader public service to which I remain devoted. And by the way, not only did Mayorkas not testify at any of these hearings, but there were no fact witnesses. It was just, okay, we don't like what's happening at the border. Mayorkas is the cabinet member nominally in charge. Let's get rid of him. This, and what I'm going to read you now from Politico is going to help illuminate how, why there has been no solution to the border crisis. And yes, I know uh, fans of President Trump will say he had the border under control, and he did compare to Biden, but at what price? You know, as I mentioned yesterday, separating families and um, the kind of facilities that those who came across the border were held in. But not since 1986 under Ronald Reagan has there been a true compromise on this. And even though Biden is saying, you know, give me the authority and I will close the border when the number of illegal crossings gets too high, on his left, says Politico, progressives are frustrated with the president for embracing this bipartisan border security deal. And they're starting to rage against it more loudly. They're also mad at him over his handling of the Israel-Hamas war. But once this border deal surfaces, if it ever does, by the way, you know, Mike Johnson says it's dead on arrival, liberal anger is likely to boil over. That's partly because Senate negotiators have ruled out serious immigration concessions to the left, such as permanent status for the dreamers. That's a new fact for me. I didn't know that that was part of the talks and I didn't know it had been taken off the table. They're watching Biden tack to the right by swearing he'll shut down the southern border using authority that the unreleased bill is said to give him. Here's Pramila Jayapal, member of the squad, chair of the Progressive Caucus. The president would uh, just do very well to remember it has never worked for Democrats to just take up Republican talking points and think somehow Republicans are going to turn around and thank us for it. It has the makings, says Politico, of a potential Democratic crack-up if the border proposal that's now on the rocks in the Senate manages to stay alive. The text of the proposed changes isn't available, but people close to the talks have signaled that the final product is likely to expand um, 
expulsion authority, restrict claims for parole and asylum, and set triggers that would close the border altogether if crossings surpass a certain daily threshold. And I don't know why President Biden, this may be the biggest and toughest argument against him, especially that the economic, especially as the economic news has gotten a little better and consumer confidence has gone up a bit. Declare an emergency. If this bill is indeed DOA, declare an emergency and close the border yourself because we are at record shattering levels, even for the Biden administration. And people care about this, and it's not just Republicans. As I always say, look at the mayor of Chicago, look at the mayor of New York City. Uh, Any Democrat in an area or state or city or county where uh, illegal migrants are being sent so that uh, Texas and other border states don't have to bear the whole brunt, country's not happy with this. It's an absolute albatross for Joe Biden. Okay, story three. Justice Department is investigating Congresswoman Cori Bush, a Missouri Democrat, for allegedly misusing money intended for members of Congress to spend on private security, according to sources, say the Washington Post and other news outlets. I had just gotten uh, the first indication of this on yesterday's podcast where it just said that DOJ had issued a subpoena to the House about an unnamed lawmaker. Well, it didn't take Puck News and the New York Times and here's the Washington Post story to figure out who that was. Cory Bush, a pretty outspoken Democrat. Investigators have contacted multiple current and former staffers inquiring about the Congresswoman's campaign spending. Bush confirmed in a statement that DOJ is reviewing my campaign's funding on security services, and she says she's cooperating with investigators. Since before I was sworn into office, I have endured relentless threats to my physical safety and life. As a rank-and-file member of Congress, I'm not entitled to personal protection by the House, and instead have used campaign funds as permissible to retain security services. I've not used any federal tax dollars for security, Any reporting that I've used federal funds for security is simply false. Right-wing organizations have peddled baseless allegations against me. I mean, that's always the go-to. So she's on the Capitol steps talking to a mob of journalists and making all these points. And she says, you know, the ethics committee has cleared her. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that doesn't sound that outrageous as she's had all these threats that uh, apparently she consulted with, I don't know, lawyers in Congress or whatever. But then, and by the way, if Cori Bush is so innocent, why did she take no questions? No, she come, came out and read a statement to stick it to her political detractors. But then I'm watching this live and she comes out and says, well, yeah, I did hire my husband to provide security for me. He's a lot of experience in this area. She paid her husband a total of $102,000 over the last two years. Her husband, whose last name is Merritts, 
doesn't appear to have private security licenses in either the St. Louis or D.C. areas. But here's Cori Bush saying all these allegations are frivolous. He is able to provide the necessary services at or below a fair market rate. Meaning, (laughs) that money is going into your joint bank account. And even if they don't have a joint bank account, this is kind of reminiscent of Fonnie Willis hiring her boyfriend. I guess I should say alleged boyfriend, but she still hasn't denied it. So I'm just going to assume that part of the case is right. Whether or not it should result in the Fulton County, Georgia DA being kicked off the Trump prosecution case is a whole nother debate. And by the way, she just caught a break because her now boyfriend, Nathan Wade, excuse me, um, just concluded his divorce proceedings. And it was his estranged wife who is demanding testimony from the DA. So Fonnie Willis doesn't, no longer has to testify in this case. I'm sure that was part of the motivation for her male pal to settle the case with his ex. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. All right, since uh, we're dealing with lots of legal stuff here, let's go to number four and Donald Trump. Donald Trump spent approximately $50 million last year as his legal expenses piled up. And that came from money that people donated to his campaign. You know, you had the four indictments, you have the civil fraud suit in New York, which might be resolved today or in the coming days. Remember that Letitia James, the AG, is asking for $370 million penalty against the Trump organization. It's the New York Times that is reporting this, according to two people briefed on the figure. It is a staggering sum. Uh, No S, huh? $50 million. His lone remaining rival in the primary, Nikki Haley, raised roughly the same amount of money across all her committees as Trump's political accounts spent paying the bills stemming from his various legal defenses, including lawyers for witnesses. So Save America, which is one pack, um, has nearly run out of money. So Trump asked for a refund, a refund of $60 million that he initially transferred to a different group, pro-Trump super PAC called MAGA Inc., to support his campaign. He says he wants that money back. He needs it to pay his legal bills. And Trump has been directing 10 cents out of every dollar that he receives from his supporters to the Save America PAC. And there's also a second account called the Make America Great Again PAC. So a a spokesman for this super PAC, Alex Pfeiffer, said the group had raised a total of $120 million, including the $60 million transfer that is in the process of being refunded. 
And this guy Pfeiffer says, this is old recycled news about a refund request that was reported on nearly a year ago. The battle to defeat Joe Biden is here, and the time for everyone to step up and join the fight is now. Every dollar being raised by MAGA Inc. is going directly to defeating Joe Biden in November. Now, Trump's also been paying some of the legal fees of aides who have been sort of caught up in the case. For example, his co-defendant in the classified documents case, Walt Nauda, is still on his campaign payroll. And he, you know, apparently is the guy in charge of security. Another co-defendant in the case, Carlos de Oliveira, works at Mar-a-Lago. Now, Trump's aides have also opened a legal defense fund last year to pay the legal fees of Trump allies caught up in these investigations. Now, then you have the, you know, stunningly high $83 million verdict against him in the Eugene Carroll defamation case, and as I mentioned, the New York State case. I mean, this could reach a point where Trump has liquidity problems. How much cash does he have on hand? You don't ask uh, your own political action committee to refund $60 million unless you are in somewhat dire need of said amount. And I do wonder whether some Trump donors, particularly smaller donors, might not be 100% comfortable knowing that their money is going to pay his legal bills. But I suppose if you are a Trump loyalist and you want to see him become president again, which would kind of require, well, it doesn't require constitutionally, I should correct myself right there, him staying out of prison. But if he were to be convicted, let's put it this way, in any of these cases, any of the criminal cases, that is, it would undoubtedly cost him some support among some Republicans, according to surveys, And that would diminish his chances of becoming president again. Now, Nikki Haley didn't let this go by. After this report in the New York Times, she said, another reason Donald Trump won't debate me. His PAC spent $50 million in campaign dollars on his legal fees. He can't beat Joe Biden if he's spending all his time and money on court cases and chaos. And so that's the way she often does this. She deals with the procedural aspects of Trump's legal woes. So she won't talk about E. Jean Carroll or the civil fraud suit. She often says she's not a lawyer. She's not following them. The cases, that is. But, I mean, this is a legitimate issue, spending all this money on dealing with these legal battles. Meanwhile, Trump's very visible lawyer, Alina Haba, is now off the case. Trump says he's looking for a new lawyer for the appeal in that E. Jean Carroll case. Haba had written a letter to the court accusing Judge Kaplan of having a conflict of interest with E. Jean Carroll's attorney, Roberta Kaplan, no 
family connection at all. Citing a New York Post article that quoted an anonymous partner at the judge's former law firm who claimed he had a mentor-mentee relationship with Roberta Kaplan. has been making the rounds on TV uh, with E. Jean Carroll. Uh, morning shows, Rachel Maddow. Roberta Kaplan says that she and Judge Kaplan did work for the Paul Weiss law firm, but their tenure overlapped by less than two years when she was a very junior associate, and it was more than 30 years ago. They didn't work closely together or even at all. And by the way, Paul Weiss has a thousand lawyers. So she's walked that back. And now uh, the former president looking for other representation. Story number five, Joe Biden took some questions from reporters just the other day. But it was, you know, right outside the helicopter, which makes it hard to hear. The engines are roaring. And most of his answers are don't exceed two sentences. So I wanted to just read some of this to give you a feel for what it's like. And maybe his people have decided, well, as long as he's got his talking points down for a couple of sentences, he's good. But how about talking to journalists in any forum where you have to answer in a little more depth and not be drowned out by Marine One? Okay, question, Mr. President. Do you hold Iran responsible for the death of the three Americans? Remember, you know, the Biden administration is promising retaliation, hasn't had it yet, doesn't war war with Iran, weighing its options, and so a lot of people, especially on the right, are criticizing uh, this delay. Biden says yes. That's the whole answer, yes. Mr. President, do you hold Iran responsible for the death of those three Americans? Uh, I do hold them responsible in the sense that they're supplying the weapons to the people who did it. But directly responsible? Well, we'll have that discussion. Another question. Uh, you haven't been able to deter these attacks in the past. What will be different this time? President, inaudible. Uh, you worried about a wider war in the Middle East? I don't think we need a wider war in the Middle East. That's not what I am looking for. Should Donald Trump be allowed on the ballot? President, as far as I'm concerned, that's fine. Why is he leading in the polls if he's a threat to democracy, as you say? President, because guys like you. <laughs> and he laughs. What am I doing, the reporter says. Come on. I'm teasing, man. I'm teasing. It's early, says the president. And then on the border, have you done everything you can do with executive authority? I've done all I can do. Just give me the power. I've asked from the ferry day I got into office, give me the border tr- patrol. Give me the people who can ma- stop this and make it work right. Oh, his additional answer on Trump in the ballot? He says, whether the 14th Amendment applies or not, we'll let the court make that decision. But he certainly supported an insurrection. There's no question about it. None. Zero. And he seems to be doubling down on it. Now, Biden uses harsher language against Donald Trump when he's at fundraisers. Does it quite deliberately, kind of test drives these attacks. But the thing is, 
it, reporters are there, so it can be reported, but there's no cameras. There's no video. And that's what makes an impact in our television and digital world. Maybe that makes sense, maybe it doesn't make sense. But my main point is, he answers these questions by the helicopter with pretty clipped answers. He uses tougher rhetoric, but not doing it on camera. And he has had virtually no interviews in, maybe I'm missing one, but in the last couple of months, and extraordinarily few over the course of 2023. I think the number was 13. Don't hold me to it. Which is why I say he's not using the bully pulpit. He could do this to better effect, to get his message out. And he often doesn't see on top of things. He often seems kind of a bystander because, you know, he'll just put out these statements. Written statements don't get you much in 2024. You got to say something, people got to see you say it. And if you stumble or bumble in the process, so what? You probably heard a version of this rap from me before. But they've got their plan and they're sticking to it. Just waiting to play the Taylor Swift card. All right. Well, I had a lot of fun today. I mean, some serious stuff here to be sure, but I hope you enjoyed it as well. And if you come back, I'll come back. See you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.